opportunity to continue to dig into the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew 6, 7 to 15. We're going to read the whole Lord's Prayer again, even though Drew dug into some of it last week. But as you turn there, um, and it'll be on the screen as well in a moment when I read it, but as you turn there, let me set the stage a little bit. Jesus has been showing us in the Sermon on the Mount up until this point how our own personal righteousness falls woefully short. It's not enough. We can't come before God based on our own record. We need an external righteousness, his righteousness, a gift given to us by grace. And then now he's showing us that we as humans like to have this fake righteousness that we perform before others rather than having an audience of one our Father in heaven, living a life pleasing to him. And in that section is where Jesus delivers his teaching on the Lord's Prayer, because he's talking about people who give to the needy or pray or fast to get a reward from others rather than from their Father in heaven. And that's where we pick up. And there's two aspects in the Lord's Prayer, two sections. That's why Drew looked at verses 9 to 10 last week, and I'm going to look at verses 11 to 13. Verses 9 to 10, Jesus is trying to get the disciples to orient and focus on who God is and what his kingdom is all about and what God desires. That's what they got to focus on first. And then in verses 11 to 13, Jesus is teaching the disciples to respond in prayer, in light of who God is, in light of God want, what God wants. They respond in prayer about their needs. And that's where we are today, but we're going to read the whole section. So read with me in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil." For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us to encourage us, to comfort us when we need comfort. We pray, Holy Spirit, please be present now and speak through your word in this sermon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In harsh survival conditions, there's a concept known as the rule of threes. Maybe you've heard of this before. For the average human, the average human now, not exceptional people, the average human, you can survive roughly three weeks without food, three days without drinkable water, three hours in extreme heat or cold, or three minutes without breathable air. The rule of threes, food, water, temperature, air, basic, simple, essential things needed for human survival. Humans, after all, are needy creatures. We need all of these things for life. But in the same manner, how long can we survive without prayerful communication with our loving Heavenly Father, our Creator and King? Do we view prayer as essential, like we view air, water, food? We're needy creatures. 
not just because of sin, definitely because of sin, but because that is who we were created to be. We were created to rely on God, to be his creatures who depend on him. And so our loving heavenly father has given us prayer in which he delights to hear and answer us. A recent religious survey showed this, that in America, 40 to 50% of people, some of them not even Christians, said that they pray in some sort of way every day. Humans respond to this confusing world by crying out to their God and creator in prayer. And that's why almost every single religion in the world has some sort of communication with the divine because that is part of human nature, to want to reach out to God with our needs and our struggles. Last week, Drew looked at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, which emphasizes who God is. He's our Heavenly Father, and He's a King. And Jesus showed His followers how they should orient themselves and their desires to align with their Heavenly Father's kingdom. The first three verses could be said to focus on God's presence The last three verses, which we're going to look at today, could be said to focus on God's provision. God's presence and provision. Both presence and provision are important, but God's presence must be sought first before his provision is requested. The first three three verses focused on provision could also fall into three Ps. God's provision, God's pardon, God's protection, daily bread, daily forgiveness, daily protection from sin. And many of you have probably heard sermons preached in that manner on those three main points. I certainly have. And I'm not going to focus on that today. I'm going to try to help us look at this text in a new light, because often we hear things again and again, and the Lord's Prayer is certainly one of those that we've heard so many times. These three verses could also be viewed as confession, confession of realities which sinful humanity has neglected, confession of what we need due to our sinful situation, and I'll point those out throughout the sermon. Another often overlooked element worth emphasizing is that each of these three petitions are corporate in nature. Listen again, give us our daily bread. Forgive us as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us, deliver us from evil. This is not an individualistic prayer. It's a communal, corporate prayer, God's people praying together. So the idea we're going to unpack today is that as needy sons and daughters, our Heavenly Father delights to hear our prayers, so let us express our needs to Him. As needy sons and daughters, our Heavenly Father delights to hear our prayers, so let us express our needs to Him. And one might ask, Nathan, how should we express our needs to God? And that's what we're going to focus on today. And I would say that when we express our needs to God, we need to keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it spiritual. I'm going to unpack each one of those things throughout the sermon. Keep it simple. The first thing that we see as we look at the Lord's Prayer about how we express our needs to the Lord is that we should keep it simple. What do I mean by this? Simple in words and simple and essential in content. In verse 7, we hear Jesus say, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Jesus speaks the reality of human thinking that their eloquence or their length in prayer will convince God or the universe to answer them. 
That's not the case. Jesus rather states that God, as a loving heavenly father, wants to hear his children's heartfelt needs expressed in simple, childlike terms. In fact, the reality is that he already knows what we need, what we want, before we even express our prayers. That's what he says in verse 8. And we see this also in the request portions of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus keeps it simple and straightforward. We're going to look at that in each of the three requests. They are simple but essential for human life. In verse 11, Jesus calls the disciples to pray, Give us this day our daily bread. Bread was essential to life. At Jesus' time, it was the one food that people ate every single day. They didn't have a variety of options like we do. They didn't have a buffet every single day that they could choose from. Most of them ate bread every day, every meal. In our modern affluent period, we are so accustomed to an abundance that the power of this simple petition is lost on us. In the first century, individuals sometimes did not know where their next meal was going to be coming from. Hunger and famine were very real concerns for themselves, for their children, The prayer, give us this day our daily bread, was difficult to actually pray. Jesus' call to pray for our daily bread represents the call to pray for our daily, basic, simple, essential human needs. And if we can pray for those, then we can pray for anything, is what Jesus is communicating We are to be daily dependent upon our God. That does not mean that we should not pray for the future in view. That does not mean we shouldn't pray for more momentous things. We should. The Bible is clear on that in many other places. But Jesus here is drilling down into the essentials of prayer. And Jesus is saying that prayer should occur every day as a daily reaffirmation of our dependence and need of God. Verse 12, we also see that Jesus calls his disciples to pray for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgiveness, I would argue, is a simple, essential human need. We might not think that, but the Bible witnesses to to this reality. We are separated from God by sin. We each desperately need forgiveness. Without it, we are destined for hell. We can't get more simple and essential than that. But more than that, we need forgiveness from our fellow humans. And we need to extend forgiveness to one another. Paul in 2 Corinthians 2 speaks about how a certain individual in the community, the Corinthian church, has caused pain by sinning against Paul and sinning against the community. And then in verse 7 to 8, he writes that instead of going on punishing this individual... They should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, Paul writes. Forgiveness is essential. Not only does the Bible witness to this, but secular psychological studies have seen the medical benefits of forgiveness. These studies have shown that when people don't forgive others, when they feel desperately that they need forgiveness, there are detrimental medical issues that result in those individuals. And these studies have shown that there's medical benefits to both being forgiven and extending forgiveness to others. Tim Keller recently, uh, about a year ago, had an excellent article titled The Fading of Forgiveness. I really encourage you to Google it and find it. It talks about how our society is moving so far away from its ability to forgive others. 
And the subtitle of this article is Tracing the Disappearance of the Thing We Need the Most. I agree entirely with him. We need forgiveness. We desperately need it. It's a simple, essential human need. As humans, we both need forgiveness from God and from others, and we need to extend, grant forgiveness. So Jesus says, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. In verse 13, the third petition, Jesus also tells his disciples to keep their prayers simply focused on the daily need of God's guidance and leading in the spiritual war in which we exist. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We live in a spiritual battle with our own sinful flesh, with the world, with the devil. Jesus does not want us to lose track of this, and so we are to daily pray about it. Though important, the spiritual battle we live in as Christians is not complicated. We're fighting against our own sinful desires. We're fighting against the world, which wants to lead us away from God. We're fighting against the devil. This spiritual battle is not distant. It's not occasional. It's near in our lives. It's constant. As Jesus calls us to simply express that battle and ask for his help in the war. So we see that Jesus first teaches his disciples that they are to pray, that as they pray, they should keep their expression of prayer simple. Daily needs, the essential human need of forgiveness, the daily leading which will guide us in the Christian life. I want you to think in terms of a child and a parent. If a child has a secure attachment to their father and mother, if the child knows that the parents are for them and loves them, then the child will bring their needs to the parents, right? Sometimes constantly they will bring their needs to the parents. Any of you who are parents know this. Daddy, can I have this? Daddy, can I have yogurt? Daddy, can I have a popsicle? I may be speaking from personal experience. The child asks for these things. They express their needs, sometimes insistently. Why? Because they trust and love their parents and because they know their parents trust and love them. They have a deep relationship with their father and mother, and so they ask freely, without fear, without fear of consequences, without shyness. Do we have that relationship with our Heavenly Father that propels us to simply, clearly express our heartfelt needs? We can have that relationship and we should have that type of relationship with him. So we are to keep our prayers simple, focused on that which is simple yet essential to human life, showing reliance on God as our creator, savior, and king. What are some ways that we don't keep our prayers simple? Why don't we keep our prayers simple? We think that we are self-sufficient. It's very easy for us here in the West, in modern America, to think that we've got it all together. I don't have daily needs we think. We're okay on our own. We don't need to pray every day for food. We view God maybe in a different light. We view him as a genie or a vending machine. When something momentous or difficult comes, I'm going to say the right thing. I'm going to pray for it, and God's going to answer me. We only pray when things are dire or difficult, when it's desperate. But the fact is that our Heavenly Father wants us to clearly simply express our needs to him on a daily basis. And that should compel us to pray often and with confidence. 
As a parent, how would you feel if your child did not bring their needs to you and you could not meet them? You would feel horrible. John Onwu Chekwa has a wonderful book on prayer, and in it he says, we don't treat prayer like breathing. We treat it like prescription medication meant to rid us of an infection. Once the infection is gone, so is the frequency and fervency of our prayers. Man, what a good line. We don't treat prayer like breathing. We treat it like a medication. Our needs, we think, are disease. And so we pray when we have needs, and then we want the prayers to resolve that disease of need so we can get back to living our best life without need. But we are needy people as human creatures. Yes, we have needs because of sin, but more importantly, we have needs because that is who we are, humans created by God and dependent on him. So let us simply, clearly express our needs to him. Second thing we see about how we are to express our needs to the Lord in prayer is that we should keep it real. When we pray, we are not to hide who we are and what our needs really are. We're supposed to live with the walls down and the roof off before God and before the world. We see this in all three of the petitions. In the first petition about daily bread, Jesus is calling us not to pray for all we desire, but all we need. Dan Doriani, writing, in this, writing on this passage, says Jesus exhorts us to petition God for our daily needs, not our daily greeds. We often pray for the things we really want, desire so much. And it's not wrong to pray for the things we want, but we need to pray for our daily needs and keep it real, this is what we need, not what we really, really desire and want. The Bible speaks of this in other places. In Proverbs 30, 7 to 9, the author writes out his prayer for future generations, and he says, two things I ask of you, Lord. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The writer of this prayer in Proverbs says, don't give me poverty or riches. Give me exactly what I need so that I might rely on you and not be arrogant and think I have so much or desperate and have not enough. Some commentators note that this teaching about asking for daily bread is a teaching that we must both ask and act. We need to ask for provision, but then not sit in our house and wait. Come on, God, where's the manna? Shower it down from heaven on me, please. No, we are praying for God to provide the daily bread, and then we go out to our job and earn it. But know that it is God who ultimately provides it. We ask and we act. We've already talked about how the abundance that so many of us experience in modern times has caused us to lose the important realities of biblical truths. The first petition of the Lord's Prayer, asking for daily bread, points to the reality that we are dependent creatures. The, the petitions of the Lord's Prayer are to be confessions as well. In this petition, we should confess that we are creatures, subjects, children of our God and King. We need to live with that reality and not hide it from ourselves and others, but to confess that we are entirely dependent upon him for everything. In the second petition about forgiveness, we keep it real by acknowledging that we fail and sin every day. 
It's not that we need forgiveness one time in our lives or even on momentous occasions. We need forgiveness every day. We have not arrived. We don't hide and cover up our sin and failure, but we are real with it before God and others, confessing and asking his forgiveness. Now, this petition, some people are confused by it. It's not telling us that God forgives us because we forgive others. Otherwise, showing mercy would be a work which earns our salvation. Instead, this petition is a recognition of the reality that when we understand the depths of our own sin and the forgiveness that has been extended to us, we cannot help but overflow with forgiveness towards others. John Stott, writing on this passage, says, Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our own offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear, by comparison, extremely trifling. If, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offense of others, it proves we have minimized our own sin. The petition to forgive others to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors is a recognition of the reality that we too often make too much of how others have wronged us. We think too highly of ourselves and don't think deeply enough about our own sin and the forgiveness we have been extended. In this petition, we are called to keep it real not by, by not making the offenses others have done against us bigger than they actually are. We need to realize that because we've been forgiven so much, we also should graciously, mercifully, joyfully extend forgiveness to others. In the third petition about guidance and trials, we are to keep it real by acknowledging that we live in a battle and will be tempted daily. We will face trials, some of them from God's hand, because he wants us to go through trials, to refine and build us, but some of them attacks from evil, attacks from sin. So we need to pray. We need help in this daily battle against sin, our flesh, the world, and the devil. God uses trials, but we are to pray that the trials will not be too much and lead us into sin. That's why we pray, lead us not into temptation. This last petition to deliver us from evil is why some of our prayers about needs are not met. They're not answered. Sometimes we pray for something, and God doesn't answer because he knows that if he answered, we would be led into temptation. He doesn't give us that thing we desperately want because he knows that it would be too much for us. It would lead us into temptation, away from him and not relying on him. So our Lord teaches, Lord's teaching on prayer reminds us to keep our prayers real. The human heart wants to hide from itself, from others, and even from our God. But let's be real in our prayers. Let's be vulnerable. Let's be genuine. If we cannot do that with the God who made us, who is a loving Father, then what are we possibly saying about the gospel? If he who gave up his own son for us, if we can't be real with him about our heart, then are we truly trusting that Jesus died for us and saved us? George Mueller was a giant of prayer. He lived in the 19th century in England. He's well known for his deep, prayer-filled trust in the Lord. He kept a prayer journal, which at the end of his very long life contained close to 50,000 specifically answered prayers. Man, an answer to specific prayers related to the thousands of orphans he cared for or the far-reaching gospel ministries which he led. It is estimated that George Mueller saw half a billion dollars in today's money come 
as answer to specific prayers. George Mueller had a practice of never specifically saying, I need X amount of money, please give it to me. He prayed and God provided. He always put out the need. He was real with the struggles. Read his autobiography at some point, I encourage you. But even this giant of prayer struggled at times in his prayer life. He talks about in his autobiography, he confesses that for much of his early Christian life, well over 10 years, he would struggle in prayer. He wrote about how for 30 minutes, an hour, he would sit in the morning and try to pray, and he would just be so distracted, thinking of all the needs he had, all the things he had to do. He was distracted, dissatisfied, until the Lord convicted his heart and reminded him that he first needed to focus on the Lord and his relationship with him and realizing the truths of the gospel and finding satisfaction and life in God first. And then his prayer life was radically changed. In his autobiography, he writes, according to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this, above all things, to see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. By a deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. If anybody knew the importance of prayer and asking for things, it was George Mueller, half a billion dollars as an answer of prayer. But George kept it real in realizing that the primary thing he needed to do was get right with God and receive God's grace and strength for the day. So let us genuinely express our hearts to God in prayer. He wants us to keep it real not put up a facade and be disingenuous with him. But let us first come to him as our father and friend and savior, being fed and nourished by his word, confessing our sin and receiving his forgiveness. That should be the first thing we do in prayer, not immediately dive into the requests and needs that press upon us. He wants to hear those. He delights to hear those. He delights to answer them. But first, let us come to him as a father and a friend. Confession, therefore, should be essential to our prayer lives. Confession is simply acknowledging our sin as sin and accepting God's gracious pardon, which he has already given to us. One specific area that I'd really encourage us to keep it real in our prayers is with others. The Lord's Prayer, as we've noticed, is a call to corporate communal prayer. But how often have you been in a prayer group or prayed with another brother and sister, and you want to keep things looking so great? You want to come across as having it all together. You confess these minor, small sins that everybody struggles with, but you don't honestly unburden your heart and the struggles with sin you have. Now, there's an appropriate way to do that that moves away from gossip and moves towards genuine vulnerability. So let's seek to do that. Because we live in an abundant society, we often think all we have is ours because we earned it. We work hard, and so we've got all these good things because of our own effort, right? We think that. And so we don't think to pray earnestly for our daily simple needs. But let's be realistic. Every single thing is a gift from our sovereign God's hand. Everything. We did not earn anything. It's all a gift from him. From the job you have, to the house you live in, to the abundant, huge bank account we might have. It's all a gift from God's hand. 
So modern application for us would be to thank the Lord daily for his provision, even if you did not ask for his provision. Prayer is not just asking, but also by faith thanking the Lord for how he gives even when we do not ask. After all, verse 8 said, your father knows what you need before you even ask him. The third thing that we see about how we are to express our needs to the Lord in prayer is that we should keep it spiritual. I should probably unpack this a little bit more because you might not know what I mean. The term spirituality does not actually occur in the Bible, but the word spirit and spiritual does occur. By spiritual, I mean here the relationship between the whole person and a holy God. There's a very spiritual element to every aspect of the Lord's prayer. The three petitions are all spiritual in nature, even the one about asking for our daily bread. However, we as modern 21st Americans can be incredibly divorced from our spiritual reality. We think entirely in material and physical terms so often. Sinclair Ferguson and G.I. Pack, Packer, uh, not G.I. Packer, <laughs> sorry, G.I. Jane, G.I. Joe, explain, <laughs> uh, these two remarkable Christian men explain that the Bible knows nothing of the fragmentation of the divine human relationship into sacred, secular, or religious and social. There's no dichotomy. There's no splitting apart of the Christian life. It's all spiritual, even the things we do with our money and our bodies. Some Christians place a dichotomy between the spiritual and the physical life, or the present earthly reality and the future spiritual reality, but there's no dichotomy. It's all spiritual. We are holistic beings. That's why in Romans 12:1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Presenting our bodies to God to live for him is spiritual worship. Each one of the petitions has a profound spiritual component, which we've identified a little bit, but let me unpack more. The petition about daily bread is spiritual and that it is meant to reorient us spiritually. We are creatures dependent entirely on God to be the king of every facet of our lives. The second petition on forgiveness reorients us to the reality that we are spiritual beings who relate spiritually with God and with other humans. Forgiveness is necessary because sin has broken our relationships. This is wonderful, but can also be alarming news. I once heard Tim Keller in a sermon when I was a missionary in China teach about how humanity is created in God's image. And so one of the most beautiful things you can see is a huge crowd of humans. And I was like, what, Tim, what? You see, at the time I was living in Shanghai, China, which is close to 30 million people packed into a small area. Every day I was crammed into a subway car. Every day I was going to the grocery store, standing in line for 15, 20 minutes just to get a bottle of soda. And I didn't love crowds. I didn't love humans packed around me, pushing in against me. But Tim went on and explained that a crowd is one of the most beautiful things you can see because every human is created in God's image and every human is a being who will exist for eternity. Either going to dwell in heaven, going to dwell in hell. Do we think this way? Do we realize that we and every single person around us are spiritual beings who will exist forever? Does that shape how we pray? People are destined for either heaven or hell, life with or without God. 
The third petition on guidance and trials and temptations reorients us to the reality that we are in an ongoing spiritual war, which is so easy for us to overlook in our easy, relatively easy lives. But we are spiritual beings fighting for our own pursuing of God, fighting for other people to be saved by the Holy Spirit's mercy. And we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. If we neglect prayer, if if before the start of each day we neglect intimate time with our Savior, our Father, and our friend, then how can we possibly be prepared to approach each day ready for the battle, the spiritual battle against sin? That's why in Ephesians 6, when Paul is unpacking the armor of God that we have for that spiritual battle, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then after he unpacks the breastplate, the sword, everything like that, in verse 18, he says, while you're doing this, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We get it, Paul. Pray (laughs) four times in one sentence. Paul wants us to earnestly press into prayer because we're on the front lines of a spiritual battle. One of the big overarching themes of the Lord's Prayer should be to remind us of who God is, what his priorities are, who we are in relation to him, and how we should approach him to express our needs. We as individuals and communities are broken by sin. We live in a sinful world. The result is that we are incredibly needy. But we have a loving heavenly Father who wants to hear our prayers and delights to answer them. He is our Father in heaven. His name will be hallowed, whether we are part of it or not. His kingdom will come. His will will be done. He will give us our daily bread, and all our needs will be met. He will forgive our sins, and already has in Jesus Christ. He will lead us not into temptation, and he will protect us from evil. These are all assured. Everything we're praying about is not up in the air. It's assured because of who God is and what he has done for us as his people. All of this is possible because our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, he That Jesus has sat down at the right hand of God. He is praying for us even now. Our great high priest, our savior, our mediator. Let us take assurance and security in that. Our loving father delights to answer us as needy creatures. And the Lord's Supper should remind us of the greatest provision for our greatest need. So that's why it's a joy to celebrate it once a month. During his earthly ministry, Christ instructed his followers to practice the Lord's Supper by eating the bread and drinking the cup in remembrance of him until his death, or until he returned. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took also the cup, and having given thanks, he gave it to the disciples, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
Drink from it, all of you. The Lord's Supper is a family meal. It's for those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ and are now children of the Heavenly Father. If you have placed your faith in Christ, then he welcomes you to this table to take, to eat, to drink, to be strengthened and encouraged. He says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. In a moment, as I pray, I'm going to invite the elders to come forward. They're going to prepare the elements, and then they will dismiss you row by row. Then we will have a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper and remembering what he has done for us. Pray with me, please. Father God, we come to you this morning so thankful that though we are so needy, more needy than we sometimes realize, you, a loving Heavenly Father, has met all of our needs in Jesus Christ. You, Lord Jesus, who had no sin, who had no needs, came into this earth, became human, lived a perfect sinless life, died in our place, rose again to new life, and in trusting and believing in you, we can have all of our sins forgiven and all of our guilt wiped away. We thank you for that, Lord God. We come to you this morning confessing in our hearts the many ways we have sinned against you and against others. We confess that we have not loved you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We confess that we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. In light of this sermon text this morning, we confess that there are ways that we have withheld forgiveness from others, bearing grudges in our hearts. Bring those to our mind and help us to seek out our brothers and sisters to forgive them or ask forgiveness if we need to. All these sins which you are bringing to our minds, Lord God, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, the payment has been paid. Your forgiveness is extended. The sin that deserved death has been died for. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray that as we take the Lord's Supper, you would strengthen and encourage us and help us to go out from here ready to live our lives more fully for you. Please bless this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I would invite the elders to come forward at this time to help.